Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quite a few good mathematicians leave the front lines of research and move into the lucrative world of high finance. No one has done this more successfully than the American Jim Simons. He was one of the world's leading algebraic geometers before he left mathematics research to set up Renaissance Technologies, a move that made him one of the wealthiest people in America. With his wife, Simon set up a philanthropic foundation that has funded a lot of basic research, especially into mathematics, fundamental physics and their many connections. This relationship is the central theme of my new book, The Universe Speaks in Numbers. My name is Graham Farmlow, and this is another of the interviews with the leading players in the field recorded over the past year. Last autumn, I spent a week at the Simon Centre for Geometry and Physics at Stony Brook University on Long Island. It was there that Jim Simons and the great physicist Frank Yang made pioneering contributions to approaches to gauge theories of physics using the mathematical discipline of topology. I was invited to the Simon Center by its director, Louis Alvarez Gomez, my guest today. Born, raised and educated in Spain, he's a top-class theoretical physicist and one of the pioneers of the string framework for understanding the fundamental concepts of the natural world. And he's a thoughtful, lively talker and a welcoming host, as I found out during my stay at the center, where mathematicians and theoretical physicists work alongside each other and sometimes together. I began the interview by suggesting that the centre's founders were in some sense turning back the clock by centuries to times when there was no hard and fast distinction between mathematicians and physicists. Well, I think that nowadays it's a bit difficult. There are very, very few people uh, that are able to do really, you know, competitive mathematics and, uh, and high-quality physics. I think probably the exception is Edward Witten, mm. uh, someone who is a, I mean, a very reputed theoretical physicist who is the only one ever to get a Fields Medal. So I think that what is important is that somehow, at least in the physics community, we have to get a level of mathematical sophistication that is kind of unusual. It was not like this. So you think you're on a quest to actually improve that, are you, right. in some sense? Yeah. Ah, right, okay. So mm-hmm. I think that this, you know, this level of sophistication is something which is kind of unique to this period. I think that you know many theoretical physicists are using some of the tools that mathematicians are mm-hmm. um, uh, developing in the last, uh, say, 10, 15, 20 years. And even better, like with the case of Poincaré and uh, other great mathematicians, uh, theoretical physicists becoming a source of inspiration, kind of a, a you know, experimental mathematics <laughs> for the mathematician. I mean, many of the developments in theoretical physics, be it string theory or quantum mm, field theory, mm. 
have really inspired a large amount of mathematics mm-hmm. and vice versa. So in that sense, it's a, it's a good time to be to bring both communities together. I knew that the Simons Foundation had largely bankrolled the centre, but I wondered where the idea had come from. The seeds of the centre is the summer workshop. Starting in the early 2000s, there was a summer workshop where brought Kunrun Vafa, Martin Rocek, and a certain number of people. So these are leading people in string theory, people in string theory, theory, theory yeah. and mathematical physics. And somehow this experiment of a whole month, you know, four weeks dedicated to Hot exchanges in speak, the yeah. in-house, is what actually generated the inspiration to make the centre. And therefore, in that sense, it's kind of unique. Well, we have some other centres in the world, like the IHS in Paris, they still for advanced study in Princeton, maybe you know MSRI or KIT in mm. Santa Barbara. But in a sense, you know, the idea was to create uh, out of you know the outgrowth of the summer workshop was precisely this institute. But it's a it's a completely different matter to have a whole permanent institute. Well, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's, you know, it was it was felt that somehow there was the need, and perhaps uh, you know, Stony Brook was a very good place where there was plenty of interaction between uh, the time of Young. Uh, yeah, Simon you had great people so, here. Yeah. So somehow historically, in this in uh, Stony Brook, there's been a very productive interaction between physicists and mathematicians. Though again, you know, this is part of the history of this place. So how did it take off then? How did you get the money to do that? Well, I think that the, this thing, of course, is uh, is an outgrowth of uh, Jim Simon's. Um, Obviously, resources. Yeah, let's, a, let's just pause about Jim Simons because he's—he really is quite an unusual character, right? Because right. he was a very, very good mathematician. Okay, it's, it's, at Stony Brook, here he continues to do mathematics. In fact, he still does it, does he? He, he does it, you know, not as frequently as he yeah, does yeah. do. Yeah. But he was uh, the person who somehow built uh, fifty years ago the math department. Yeah. He brought extremely good people. Well, he was a pure academic, yeah. Pure academic, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then eventually he left Stony Brook, and then he went into. I think he worked for. Um, I don't know, in cryptography, then he went into, you know, all this financial mm-hmm. mathematics and then became a very wealthy benefactor. Extremely of, uh, wealthy, yeah. Right. The hedge fund, the Renaissance Technologies, I mean, this right, is exactly. very so, big, yeah. But, you know, someone who spends uh, most of his money in fundamental research, it's interesting that he doesn't seem to care about applied research. So, in a sense, uh, it's, re- it's really it's wonderful the fact that someone who really thinks that curiosity-driven research yeah. is the one that should really be supported. Yeah, yeah. Well, didn't he get his degree here, his first degree? At no, I think no? it was in MIT or Harvard. Oh, was it? Okay. Okay, yeah. beg your pardon. But he, he has a certain loyalty to yeah, right. Stony Brook, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the math department here is really one of the top places in the country. So how did Jim Simons help to make the centre happen? Essentially, at the, at the, as I say, in the, about 20, 2005, 2006, 2007, I mean, the first document uh, where the university and, Jim and the Simons Foundation decided to work together to mm. create the centre, I mean, mm. it's important that the university also believed in this project and is providing a large amount of support. I mm. think that, uh, you know, the president and the provost of the university should mm. be thanked for this. The first document is essentially in 2009. That's when they set up the agreement, how this is going to work. And this fantastic building that where we are sitting now, I think that was uh, built by Jim Simons with Simons Foundation. And it started functioning in 2010. So before the, the Simon Center was squatting offices in the math and physics department. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> then you had your own purpose-built accommodation. Right. And then we have this uh, this magnificent building where mm-hmm. we can have all our activities. And in fact, we host uh, large numbers of uh, workshops, uh, programs, and somehow we have a, an important component that is service to the community. Because, I mean, the good thing is that our operations budget allows to fund workshops and programs. And those who are accepted do not need to worry about applying to funding agencies to get the, well, the funds. That's a big bonus there. these days. That's a big, uh, big bonus. And you joined uh, the, uh, this, uh, was it two, uh, two years ago? It's 2016? Two years ago, yeah. yeah. September 2016. So I've been here for two years. For okay. me, it's like homecoming because I came here 40 years ago as a graduate student in 1978. Wow, yeah. 
So it's kind of interesting that, uh, in fact, many other professors whose uh, lectures I attended are still active. So as I said, for me, it's like a homecoming. I left here in 1980, then went to Harvard, uh, then, uh, you know, to one year in Boston University, then I've been at CERN, mm -hmm. the main laboratory in Geneva for nearly 30 years. And it's kind of a... Uh, Remarkable <laughs> that eventually yeah. I closed the circle by coming back in you know, the last part of my scientific career to Stony Brook, which is where I started. Most of the experts in the overlapping territory between modern mathematics and modern physics were trained either as mathematicians or as physicists. But I wonder if deep down the experts at the centre tend to revert to the customs and practices of the field in which they were trained. I think that, of course, you know, it's very difficult to imagine mathematicians writing uh, rigorous papers with physicists. But I think what is important is, that is uh, to, to be each other's inspirations. You know, you can you don't have to write a paper or to, you know, to, to conduct a program together, but it's very often, very useful often to talk to them, to see how they see the problem that we deal with yeah. and vice versa. So, and, and here, in a sense, uh, you know, mathematicians go about doing mathematics yeah. and physicists go about doing physics, but they interact frequently and it's in a very spontaneous way. It's not forced. So that's, uh, that's that's a good aspect of this center. This is this is, I said this what I, I imagine. There's a lot of you have to put a lot of faith in your people here because you can't make them do anything, can you? No, no. All you can do is create an environment for them. Right. Uh, that's, uh, you know, that's, you know, that's that's the good thing about research. You know, precisely that's the way it works. I mean, uh, yeah. people don't want to be disturbed. And then uh, the important thing is you make sure you try to make sure that they have the best working conditions. And what does that entail, incidentally, here? Because some people might be interested. In what what do people want as as part of their environment? What are the key things that you have to give them? Do you think freedom? <laughs> Dearly, number one thing for you, yeah, just do whatever you like. Just academic freedom. Just right. uh, you know, in a sense, uh, what we do and we we get paid for, in a sense, is uh, is daydreaming. <laughs> you like that's creative, <laughs> <laughs> very, very highly disciplined daydreaming. But yeah, I get the point. Yeah. But in a sense, that's what that's what the British people want. You know, in principle, if they want some obligation, if they want to teach, they want to run a seminar and so on. Of course, many of them do. But uh, you know, the issue is that you just give them the resources so that they can be relatively happy. But they, they want, I mean, think, maybe it sounds trivial, but they want things like, you know, they want good, very good computer facilities. Yeah, sure. You know, they need family support. and Yeah, but know, that's, you know, this, this centre is for theoretical work, so it's yeah. much easier, you know, if, you, if they want a laboratory and so on, yeah. or a supercomputer, yeah. it's a yeah, different yeah. issue. Yeah. But it's relatively, you know, the, the resources that are needed to facilitate their work is relatively simple. Okay. You know, some yeah. traveling money, possibility of uh, hiring graduate students, that's also shared with the university. Mm. So in a sense, you know, a good office, yeah. <laughs> a reasonable salary so that you can keep your family happy. But apart from that, uh, the most the most valued thing is precisely the freedom, the academic freedom, that nobody's going to tell them, you know, you have to publish, you have to make patterns, you have to, this, you know, just think yes. about good problems. Alvarez Gomez did what has become perhaps his most famous work in the 1980s, when he was one of the pioneers of the string framework. With the great mathematical physicist Edward Witten, Alvarez Gomez probed deeply into the conditions that enable a theory of gravity to be, unlike Einstein's, consistent with quantum mechanics. What does Alvarez Gomez remember about those days? Uh, that was a paper where we were trying to, uh, to explore consistency conditions in quantum field theory. You know, sometimes there are some properties of nature which is called chirality, which is the fact that, you know, the left... You know, the mirror image sometimes mm -hmm. does not describe the real world. Then that sets a number of consistency conditions in mm -hmm. when you try to have gravity, gravitational interactions or electromagnetic interactions and so on. So this is a work that we did. In fact, I actually Edward Witten was the leader. Obviously, he's the one who brought me to, into this particular. Where, where was this? Was this in Princeton? Was in Princeton, in Princeton, in Princeton yeah. 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 Uh, mm -hmm. 
And the idea is that, you know, until then, nobody has really taken the uh, possible inconsistencies uh, in the case of gravity. Now, the interesting thing about that work is that, of course, in four dimensions, the one we're supposed to be living at least for the yeah. dimensions, uh, the gravitational anomalies were not particularly uh, well studied or not were not providing very, very strong constraints. Are you, are you saying here that, that, that these quantum field theories uh, w- were breaking down in the presence of That's gravity? Right. Yeah, Exactly. Mm. The, like, you know, the, the, the something similar would you have the, the, all, the, all the interactions, like a strong, weak electromagnetic interactions, mm. That as soon as you want to have some chirality, some uh, you know the fact that the left and right handedness, and yeah. the handedness is mm-hmm. uh, is different, mm-hmm. then uh, there are some inconsistent quantum inconsistencies when you try to do the quantum theory. Well, what we did is to actually extend that work to include gravitation. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is that in dimensions which are you know two, six, ten, you know the constraints are are extre- extremely strong. Mm-hmm. And in fact, that's uh, what eventually led to the construction of the heterotic strings and mm-hmm. similar things. That there are so few in uh, in ten dimensions. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, you know, th- th- in that paper, it's the first time that somebody really studied what are the quantum constraints to yes. have this consistent uh, interaction with gravity and uh, chirality. So was Alvarez Gomez surprised in the summer of 1984 when Michael Green and John Schwartz came up with the first truly viable string framework? Not really. It was no? kind of a relief. Oh, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, of course, type two B is very interesting, and in fact, is the is the I mean, is, is the basis for what we now call the ADS-CFT correspondence. Mm. So that, you know, so mm. type two B continues to play a central role. But once this anomaly uh, cancellation happened, then we discovered completely new string theories that were not known, and then that led to you know all this mm. uh, string revolution from 1984 on. It was time to look at the bigger picture. Since the mid 1980s, fundamental theoretical physics has become steadily more mathematical. Does Alvarez Gomez have any sympathy for scientists who think that this mathematical trend has just gone too far? Well, you know, there are all these, uh, these kind of common sense, like uh, Dirac. I mean, uh, as you know, you certainly know much about, about Dirac or the Greeks or Galileo, that somehow mm-hmm. the language of the world is written in mathematics. I mean, as Einstein used to say, you know, it's the most incomprehensible thing about nature that is comprehensible. This is the Einstein quote, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, I mean, it's, it's, surprising, it's really surprising that... Mm. Uh, Good mathematics describes properties of nature. I don't think we have a good understanding of that, but it's extremely effective. In fact, Wigner wrote this fantastic, uh, you know, this article whose best part is the title, The Unreasonable Effectiveness of Mathematics in mm. the Natural Sciences. The rest mm. of the article you can ignore, but that title is fantastic. <laughs> great, title. great article, shame about the, uh, the article. Yeah, yeah. The title is the best part of the article. But, uh, I'm not making trouble, I'm just intrigued. No, because sorry. For people uh, who think, try to work out what it's like to work here, but you don't have experimental seminars here, do you? You don't have people worrying about things. Once in a while. Oh, do you? Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. Because, you know, I think that... Well, sometimes what happens is that, uh, I mean, there's some questions about quantum field theory that mm. do uh, explain experiments. Yes. So, and there are some, some issues that, for example, you cannot access theoretically because we still don't mm. have the tools, and then you need experimental input to guide mm. you. So mm. in that sense, it's uh, kind of interesting. We've had a few of, mm-hmm. uh, of these uh, workshops which are dedicated to ex- to explain things that happen in the LHC, you know, the, the Large yeah. Hadron Collider. Collider, and somehow the various experiments who are really trying to explore the frontier and, mm. and go beyond. So in that sense, sometimes, uh, you know, you just talk to your theoretical colleagues, to mathematicians, mm. but often it's very important to question nature, which at the end of the day in physics is mm. the oracle. Do you not think there's a reasonable case to say that it is perhaps a worrying development that theoreticians now establish a great career yeah. without going anywhere near an experimental result? Sure, no, no, that's true, it's true. You know, it's, 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 an, it's an interesting question. But, for example, uh, I'll 
Many people are always criticizing string theory, no contact with nature, and so mm-hmm. on. That, I think, is a huge exaggeration. I mean, I'm not going to become a Popperian or defend Popperians mm-hmm. or non-Popperians, but the number of tools, mathematical and otherwise, that have come out of string theory have enriched mathematics and what you might call real physics in a way that was totally unexpected. Yeah. So you're saying it's been beneficial to the subject as a whole. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Know, I can tell you, for example, that some of the things which is called the theory of amplitude, I'm not going to get into. In fact, yeah. Edward Witten made a fantastic piece of uh, contribution. You're talking about it's fundamental particles basically colliding exactly. with each other in here. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, said before, some of this recent work on amplitude that was inspired by string theory, um, you know, the, the computation, for example, of proton-proton collisions in mm. the LHC with uh, a number of jets coming out in the final state, yeah. were essentially impossible to calculate. Now we can go up to seven, eight, nine, ten jets with uh, incredible facility. I mean, facility, but you know, mm. we can do it. And uh, in the 1990s, it was it was unthinkable. Oh, so you you, you ascribe that success, then. right? That's, a, really a, that's a fantastic it. success. Without all this technology developed and right. inspired by string theory, mm. these computations that allow us to really explore the LHC would not be possible. Many of the most advanced mathematical developments are predicated, to some extent, on supersymmetry, a mathematical symmetry proposed to be at the heart of the natural world. Yet experimenters at the Large Hadron Collider in CERN have so far discovered no evidence at all that this theory holds good in nature. Is Alvarez Gomez worried about this? There was no reason why supersymmetry should be at 1 TV or 5 TV yeah, or 10 yeah. TV. And not this, at, is at the, this is at the super colli- uh, the, yeah, um, the large hadron collider. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. of course, you can always make the case yeah. that it, would, it, it, it is possible. Good was, for funding applications. Right, but there was, there was no necessity. <laughs> yeah, and okay. I think that that's, uh, you know, maybe we were a bit uh, too naive in having these high expectations of lowering supersymmetry when even string theory does not require it. Does it worry you as well? I, I'm talking a lot about worries here, but I mean, it's, it's, sure. it is an unusual activity where involved in here uh, after all that you know, theoreticians aren't pushing hard enough for these experiments because i mean we we really do you know if the large hadron collider which is a fantastic achievement yeah. make no mistake of, of, of experimental physics and engineering but it it hasn't given us any really big surprises i think it's fair to say be delightful to see the higgs uh, well the higgs given the surprise of the higgs particle. that's great that was i think most wonderful. people were yeah. so there's so many people who were skeptical about yeah that's that. true that was wonderful but we haven't had any really big not uh, yet, well. Uh, well not yet that's fair fair point but uh, but you know it's, it looks like that to probe you know the higgs sector more finally no, no, we're would, need uh, no, if, uh, it would be great if for example somebody um build a higgs factory you know the higgs uh, i mean the the, the lhc is like painted with a with a very broad brush mm. you miss many of the fine points it would be nice to have a, a machine based on electrons and positrons which is like a scalpel mm. to really explore the higgs region mm-hmm. and then uh, you know the, many of the parameters that are associated to symmetry breaking cannot be measured with enough precision at the lhc that's what you could find in physics mm-hmm. also i mean one has to be a little careful that i mean uh, discovering a new law of nature which is like the higgs exchange and so on is not something that happens every year or oh. every month so I think that now we may be in a period where perhaps once the LHC turns on, all of a sudden there's the royal fireworks. I think it's unlikely because uh, we're not going to increase the energy. So what happens is that very rare phenomena may be discovered or may be uh, observed thanks to the fact that you have very high luminosity and many more collisions. To really discover supersymmetry, mm. either we find it through, I don't know, um, discovery of dark matter and some particular properties of dark matter or by increasing the energy. Finally, I asked Alvarez Gomez what would be his advice for an ambitious young theoretical physicist who wants to make headway at the subject's frontiers. Bright people don't need guidance. 
<laughs> I, I, I didn't say only bright people. <laughs> no, no, bright people. I think that, uh, it's clear that I mean there are several areas which, which are very interesting now. Yeah. You can of course be motivated by these large facilities. Then mm. you can you know there are all kinds of accelerators and so on. And some people get fascinated by that form of fundamental search, but some others prefer to have a slightly you know smaller groups of of, of activity. Mm. And it's interesting that now we are discovering again you know condensed matter physics, same way that mathematics and theoretical physics have a lot of uh, things right. in common. Condensed matter, mathematics, and quantum field theory, you like have many interesting connections. Mm-hmm. And we've discovered all these new phenomena about you know vile semi-metals, Dirac semi-metals, uh, topological insulators. So. It's a whole plethora of new mm. things that are coming out, which does not require large experimental facilities. Mm-hmm. Now, where the physics is, you know, it's really fascinating. Mm. So we have discovered new materials and new phase transitions and new behavior of quantum matter that was totally unknown. This is this has been a really big development in the last Absolutely. few decades, hasn't yeah. it? Where just as in the seventies, remember when when phys- uh, uh, cosmology and particle physics came together? Yeah. Now, all this uh, uh, some of the most exciting actions with the physics of solids and the exactly. quantum theories exactly. of those. It's astonishing. So that's the, that's the good thing. You know, that's one of these areas where many of these new discoveries in exotic properties of quantum field theory find application in materials mm. that our friends in the condensed matter community can build. Okay. So that's an area which is very exciting. Of course, the question about uh, cos- continue with the cosmological search, the search of emotes for the cosmic microwave background, all the new things that will come for the multi, what they call multi-messenger cosmology, which mm. includes neutrinos, gravitational waves, mm. photons, and so on. I mean, this is a, the dawning of a, new, of a completely new era. And no, whenever you open a new window, normally you find things which are fascinating. I had a terrifically stimulating week at the Simon Centre. It's one of several relatively new institutions where theoretical physicists and mathematicians work alongside each other, benefiting from each other's knowledge, skills and perspective. Two other examples are the Institut des Hautes Etudes Scientifiques in Paris and the splendid Perimeter Institute in Waterloo in Canada, founded in 1999. These are places where huge amounts of great research are being done, Another demonstration of how effective it is to listen to the universe speak, not only in experimental data, but also in numbers.